When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Tobin tonight. You might notice that I sound a little bit different. The reason for that is simple. While this is a Tobin, it is not the Tobin. I'm his brother, Sean, and I'm delighted to be here tonight with this very special episode of the show. We're turning the microphone around to interview the man himself as he prepares for his 100th episode. It's Tobin, interviewing Tobin on the 99th episode of Tobin Tonight. I think I think it's good intro music. I think I think I think it's great intro music. I, I like the music. I have no complaints about that hopefully, at all. I think hopefully later when people hear that sound that they know what it is. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, you know, we we that sounds like an intro in itself. We we're coming out from the intro music and uh we're we're here. So, first of all, uh congratulations um you know, I, I, you know, I know on this podcast, you're known as Tobin. I have a hard time saying that. So I am going to say, Brian, congratulations. Uh, the 99th episode, you are right now in the process of, uh, of putting together episode uh, 100. How does it, uh, how does it feel? Uh, I think it feels kind of an achievement in itself to do 100 episodes of like anything. Because, I mean, if you look at it from a TV kind of perspective, five, five seasons is around 100 episodes. Uh, I know with, like, people watching a lot of Netflix, there's, like, a whole joke of, like, it has to have so many episodes, otherwise I'm not watching. I'm not watching one season, not watching two seasons. got to have so many episodes max. So I feel like to achieve 100, you're kind of at the point where even if, like, people weren't paying attention before, they're kind of, like, oh, well, he's got 100 episodes. Yeah, it's something that I can binge listen to or binge watch now. So yeah, so for binge people out there, I guess I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? I think it's a good point. It is, a, it is an accomplishment, whether it's television or radio or whatever. I mean, a lot of podcasts never get that far. I mean, 100 episodes in and some, uh, some amazing guests along the way, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. But did you think you'd get here? I mean, tell me a little bit about how this started. I mean, how you, how you got started with podcasting. Um, so like at the time, um, it's kind of different or gets in between two different years. Um, which I think is interesting when you think of any time when someone's doing a startup project, whether again, movie, TV, music, even, um, you hear them when they say about an album or something like, Oh, it took two or three years in the process which is kind of the sense of a podcast. I was probably one of these people at Carlton that always felt like, um, oh, I'm going to start my own radio show one day or my own podcast, but always just one of those, like, getting there, getting there, getting there, getting there, not going to do it. Um, I, I believe at Loyalist, uh, I did sports journalism at Loyalist, and my roommate happened to be from Ottawa, so good friend with him today, Bradley Hart. And we were in sports journalism, and I just remember thinking, like, 
I'm getting kind of tired of the, a lot of sports answers that you're getting from athletes. And I was like, be interested in actually sit down with them and have a conversation. So he kind of came up with a sports podcast and it was just, you know, you're just sitting there at an apartment with your buddy, just going back and forth of the ideas, but never really coming to anything. And then I remember going back to Ottawa to go out to Algonquin College. And this was in your second year. I'd had an internship with Global Toronto um, from Newfoundland. You know, I'm going to be in, in there with interns from Ryerson, from uh, different universities, University of Toronto. And they're coming to you going, okay, so um, pitch us an idea. And you're like, I'm not from this area. I don't know what I'm going to pitch to you. Um, so it, it just wasn't a great fit. Uh, but I remember going back to Algonquin and they're like, you need something. You need something of an internship to graduate from this program. So I remember sitting down with a teacher, kind of brainstorming, going back and forth and just getting shut down, shut down, shut down. And at one, I think, you know, it just came to the point where I said, you know what, I, I'm just going to go in this back booth and I'm just going to interview Colin Mockery, the Arkells. And he just looked at me and said, good luck. But the way he said it was just enough to, in, like, just enough to, to kind of piss you off. And I was like, it was just supposed to be a saying, like to just tell him like, you're asking me to do this and I'm not going to be able to do that. So kind of lower the standard. But when he just kind of gave you that little good luck, I was like, Oh, that's it. You lit a fire. I've got to go do it. Um, so at, at, at all, at first, I think I came to him with a, just a sports show. Me and my buddies talking about Ottawa sports and he just instantly kind of gave it the Simon. No. Uh, and I said, okay. Uh, I reached out to Colin Mockery. Max Kerman from the Arkells, their PR, and it was the Junos. The Junos were in Ottawa that year. Um, so I said, oh, it'd be a great opportunity. And to my surprise, you know, with no, nothing really to go on, you can't give them sample material. They said yes. And I think the very first one I interviewed before these two was Jimmy Rankin. Um, Cause I grew up East coast, love Jimmy Rankin. Remember when we actually went across Canada cause you were going out to BC and one of the songs coming right off the, the ferry was a Tim McGraw song and a Jimmy Rankin song. And I just thought, isn't that what Nova Scotia is going to do? They're going to get Jimmy Rankin on the radio. They want you to embrace the culture, which I thought was great. And I just reached out to him thinking nothing of it. And he said, sure, I'd love to. Like, no, you know, like, give me some sample material. Watch your reach. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm a student here. And... It, whatever like don't expect like a big tmz tea out of it but he said no man I'd, I'd love to do it and i think it encouraged me more because there's a you know when you're interviewing anyone and you're just starting off you're you're gonna have hiccups but i liked at the end of the interview he kind of gave you a little bit more confidence because he said no man like the interview was great uh anytime someone wants to chat with me about my career and they're very interested um i got all the time in the world for him. So I said, okay, as long as you're genuine, you're a little bit interested in what they're doing. In this case, a lot interested for Jimmy Rankin, they'll be okay. And as long as you can present yourself doing a good interview, you know, being again, genuine, uh, things will go okay. So I just kind of went through the hardships of it a little bit, but yeah, we, we got there, I think. So that's a great story. So first of all, Jimmy Rankin, Atlanta Canadian, 
doesn't surprise me at all that he's you know open and friendly and willing to help out a, a fellow uh, fellow uh, Atlantic Canadian for sure. You said about your professor, like it almost sounds like it was a uh, um, he didn't think you could do it, so you just decided you were going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I, I think at that point, like to be fair. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I'm a pretty open person, pretty honest person can be, you know, the catch 22. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. That's why we're 22 is a hockey ner- a number, soccer number, just so people know right out, right out base. Um, I, I actually didn't know that myself, why you're so big on the number 22. I guess I'm learning something here myself. But it, it's just like, I, I guess coming from Carlton, from, you know, even seeing um, kind of yourself graduate like you know we're we're probably what 12 13 years difference and then there's another brother in between there that's a 10 years so like um the joke that it's going around sometimes like having a second family or like to my parents um so like i always thought once you graduated university or college it was pretty much like the life is your oyster like you can go achieve anything you're going to get a job as soon as you come out with anything um, and then I found it like it was a learning curve. I found coming from Carlton, I remember saying to people, I'm done, I'm finished, this is great, but there was no jobs popping up. And it turned out you need actual experience. It's no good to be book smart, which ironically enough, a lot of my friends told me when we were playing street hockey, you're book smart, Brian, but you're not like street smart. And I was like, okay, so is this what street smart is? Is pretty much in this type of world? Um, so I, I went to, do a little bit more background in sports journalism because that's what I wanted to do. And it just came to the point in coming back to what the teacher said of pushing you. I, I had teacher push, push me at loyalist basically saying, Brian, this isn't your best work. You could do better. And when you get by with someone just kind of giving you a hundred or saying, that's it. You think, all right, I'm, I'm at my peak. But when a teacher kind of pushes you to go a bit further or see something that you don't see in yourself, I think that kind of, you either take it two ways. You basically say, that's their opinion. Okay, I'm gonna continue to do what I do. Or you basically say, oh no, I'm gonna prove that person wrong. Because if they're seeing something that you don't see, like prove it to them. So in like a a bit of a long-winded answer there, I think that's what it just came down to is anytime someone pushes me, I, I feel like I have to either achieve it or at least show them that I am capable of doing it. Um, especially if I'm representing, not that, I, not that I'm out there on the streets holding up a sign for it, but as a person with a disability um, that always kind of feels like I've got an uphill battle, um, it's just to kind of show it like, listen, there's a way to make it even, but you've got to find a way to make that playing ground even. All right. So, so let's talk a bit about that for a minute. You're, the disability, because you don't talk a lot about that on the podcast I, no. I think you've mentioned it periodically but not very often so tell me a bit what what is the disability you have like explain to your listeners what that actually is so the disability i have um is like sturge weber syndrome um you know i kind of learn about it more and more kind of i guess yearly i'm not gonna say every day because that would be kind of bland just like every day searching up on a disability and then i'm one of those people that if i see something that would just make you paranoid. Um, so I learned more about it, I guess, year by year. Uh, but I guess first starting off, I believed it was like a branch off epilepsy, which may be a little bit more easier for people to understand. Uh, it's more or less I get weakness in my right arm and right leg. 
And uh, I, I'm fully aware the whole time I could tell people, like, to be honest, there are times that we're in interviews like this that it could happen. And I might get a little bit off. Like, I might just kind of uh, move around a little bit more. Or I might outright say to an interview if we're doing a video, like, listen, I'm going through something right now. Give me like five or 10 minutes to recuperate. But I could still probably power through the interview. But to me, it's trying to be a perfectionist. It's like, okay, this is going to be a distraction right now. So let's kind of put a pause on it. But that's essentially what it is. And like I have uh, a port wine birthmark. It's not maybe as visible as it used to be. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's just like the arm and leg go numb. I've had it since I was uh, a baby. You're born with it. Um, and it's just, you know, just being mindful of it, being... Uh, observant of what you do to try to not cause things like it's supposed to be like lack of sleep stress lack of food that causes it so it's keeping up with that stuff but for the most part I don't really talk about it in the podcast because I don't want to come across as a disability podcast now if someone comes on they bring up about a disability or the interview is kind of prone to this person has a disability but look at what they overcome then yes I will mention it but it's not like this running gag or running bit where you mention it every episode, because if you're talking to say a Peter Mansbridge and he's talking about his news, do you really want to come up and be like, totally relate to that, Peter, actually as a person with a disability. Um, and then he'd just be like, I don't know where you're coming up with that. We didn't even touch on that topic. Why are you bringing this up? So, so it's kind of, it's, it's hard to sort of bring into, you know, regular conversation, but the, the fact is, is that, you know, I mean, you, you downplay the disability a little bit. I mean, the fact is it's uh, Sturge-Weber syndrome is a, is a brain disorder, which is what causes those seizures that you're describing. And, and even when you were much younger than that, I mean, when you were 11 or 12, um, you, you had a stroke. I mean, uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that was kind of my first kind of mind-blown experience. And I mean, a joke aside, I mean, it's all kind of laughing at it now. But I just remember, you know, going out with your bike, riding your bike. And yes, you'd get like what every kid experiences summer. You go down a hill and break an arm. And you're like, okay, grade four is ruined for me now because I've broken my arm going down a bike. But um, I was just going around a bend. And I remember the, my, I think it was like my arm or no, it was my leg that wasn't just pedaling. And, you know, it's, a, it's, I think it's like a pretty brand new bike. And if you know, uh, William Tobin, you don't just leave new things lying around, especially a couple of blocks away. So, uh, I struggled to bring that bike home with one arm and one leg kind of carrying it. And, you know, when you, you come through the door and you're saying my arm and leg are numb, like you don't know what's going on. Uh, for all I know, maybe my parents did, or they're just learning about it in a way too. Cause most times what a seizure or whatever was at the time when I was younger was just staring off into space and someone shouting at you and you didn't realize it. And again, as a kid, you don't know that stuff because you've never, you're just kind of growing up with it. Um, so yeah. And I think the first thing as a joke and I'm not trying to make it sound like it's mean, but it's just humor. Um, I remember my parents first thing was, well, geez, Brian, like you carried the bike home. You could have left the bike. And I was like, okay, so I got a arm and leg here to, aren't clearly working, but you're basically going to give me a little bit of shit about not taking a bike home. Um, but it's, it's just jokes aside, but you know, that's where I kind of got the experience of 
the stroke and I remember being in the hospital for, I think it was like a few days, I believe, maybe. I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, to me, it probably felt right. longer. You were actually in a week. Yeah. You were actually in a week. You, you went in on a Friday night. It was Labor Day weekend. And uh, your condition kind of got worse um, to the point where uh, within a few hours, you know, every, you had full paralysis on uh, half of your body where even your facial expression, you couldn't move that side of your face. So it was actually uh, quite scary for everybody in the family. Now, I mean, the good news was that you, you know, within a week or two weeks, you, you slowly started to get things back um, and you were able to recuperate most of that, I think. I think you still have a little bit of weakness in your right side, but you're generally pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it, yeah, so. it, it's like the left side is still always dominant and always was, um, you know, which is, I guess, the, the good part about it is like it's not affecting how I write or read or, or like kick a soccer ball or anything in sports. Like, yeah, it's a little bit slower, but it's not like I was predominantly right handed. I was always a lefty um so yeah like in, in terms of that's my kind of knowledge of what my disability is and like i said there's times every couple of years or a year that you'll learn something a little bit new about it whether it's just growing up and it changes over time like at one point i remember in high school it used to be i could sense it coming and everything would go white and you just have to lie down but i don't really get that as much and then now i get the leg and arm but I feel like as you get older and you're, you're aware of this, it's helpful for like employers or people that you come across, like your buddies, if you're at a game and you're like, listen, I need to take like 10 minutes, something's happening. But as long as you're kind of conscious of it the whole time, people are not as scared of it. And I think that's a good mentality, I guess, to have on myself is if I know, like if I'm aware, okay, I've had this done before, it's not a big issue. Um, so that's my experience of it. But again, it could change over time. But at this point, I'm kind of, if that's the most that happens, then I think I'm doing okay. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, we never knew when you were a kid. And you're right, there's a 13-year, you're the youngest, I'm the oldest, and we, we have a middle brother as well. And, and like there's 13 years between us. Um, and so we didn't know how you were going to come out of that. We didn't know what impact this would have. Um, but you know, the other piece of this is um, you haven't always been open, really, about the disability. We never talked a lot about it when you were a kid. Um, and then, you know, in the last few years, maybe four, three, four, five years, you've sort of wanted to learn more about it and have been more open about it. What, what changed in that time for you? I, I think it comes from like two different spectrums. Um, you know, I kind of tried and sometimes you can fall off the rails with this when you get older because um, I know I've experienced it sometimes but it's like I, I kind of just wanted to get places on my own on my own merit like on my Carlton degree my loyalist degree my Algonquin diploma um, you know just being a hard worker be determined so it, in my mind and you know it is a point that kind of is a sour point sometimes depending on who you argue with sometimes we've had this argument as well that you know to me it's like why not look at my resume or interview me and kind of you know then determine if i'm right for the job or not like it shouldn't come down to uh, if i circle i'm a person with disability on a paper or you know i i have this kind of uh illness or 
whatever, like a disability that that should kind of put me above everyone else. And in a way, I still kind of feel that way of like, as soon as I put down a person with disability, I'm like, but now you're kind of looking at that as if, oh, he's a person with disability. That's his golden ticket. That's going to get him in through the door. And I'm looking at being like, yeah, but I'm not just walking off the street as a person with disability. I have an educational background to this job I'm applying for or to whatever I'm going to. And I think the real eye opener to me is when I was applying for jobs once I graduated and I was still kind of hopeful, um, you know, if I got rejected, I was like, okay, in fairness, I don't have three or five years experience at this. That's okay. I never really kind of clicked the disability thing because I didn't want to be um, like a red flag or something that people would label you as. Uh, and then over time, I was kind of convinced, whether it be by you or other people that I've met, um, whether it's a teacher or whoever, they're saying, listen, like, you have to put that down so that they, it's not just so that you get your foot in the door, but if anything ever happened to you in work, that like, they know this, it's not a liability. Um, so I thought, okay, like, if that's fair, that's fair to the company to know that I am a person with disability in case anything ever happens. But I wasn't really open to it just because I always just wanted to be a person that 20 years down the road, 30 years, and I know it's kind of sounds egotistical or whatever way, but when people look back, it would just be like a timbit of an information that like, oh, by the way, did you actually know that he had Sturge Weber? Like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't want that to be the big bio of Brian Tobin, Sturge Weber syndrome. Oh, and also he's a journalist. It's almost like I want it to be the other way around. So you didn't want it, you didn't want it to become your identity. Yeah, because and in fairness to people that do go places, um, you know, it, it's all in how they perceive it. I, I give a lot of credit to people that do have a disability and make it in media or any industry. And a lot of people just put it as a side note because they, you know, they've probably worked really hard to not have that be the cover story. Um, there could be people out there now that you don't even know they have the disability, but if someone reminded you, you're like, oh, I, yeah, you know what? I, I did remember that they had a disability, but they've got so much body of work behind them that it doesn't really affect it compared to the other way where you hear stories that could be from people that are don't like the person or don't like how they got to a career. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but, but that was my biggest thing. It's like, but that's how he got there. But this, like when you hear about nepotism, uh, when people get work or when you hear about, well, they were buddies, they went to the same school, that's how he got hired. I didn't want that. I wanted to kind of get my foot in the door at whatever company, work your butt off. And if someone questioned you in an interview or if someone made a nasty comment on Twitter or Facebook, someone would come back instantly. It could be me, it could be someone that supports me and says, okay, but here's the background of how he got here, rather than someone pointing out, but, He's a person with disability. They hired him because he's a person with disability. But isn't that a misconception, though? I mean, like, you, you had alluded to that, you know, people might think, oh, he hired me because I'm a disability or, or that I have a disability. And your disability is, is non-visible. People, yeah. you know, can't see it. Um, so, and like, some people might think, oh, yeah, they only got that job because they have a disability. But like, one of the things that I've learned as watching you apply for jobs over the years is that that's not really how that, that, that program works, right? Like it's that, that has that been your experience that you've been hired to jobs because you have a disability? 
No. And like, that's the whole <laughs> irony of it, of like, you know, like here I am at 29 and I'm not looking back and saying that's a regret. I stand by what I stand by. And if I don't, I will outright say it. But like at that time, that's how I felt. Like I want to get in a place of work because they like me. They like my body of work, not because I'm a person with disability, but you know, as a bit of a comic side, I like comedy. I can laugh at myself to an extent. Um, it's just, you know, funny that I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to give in. I'm finally going to tell the world, Hey, I have a disability and now all these jobs are going to apply. Like they're just going to come at my door and be like, you, you're a person with disability. Love your work. Love the fact you got a disability. We need people with disability in our work because God, the government is cracking down that we don't hire a lot of disability people. I'm like foot in the door. Great. But I still got my, I still got my background, but no, it's actually like almost the opposite where it's like. I don't give a, I don't give a, you know what, they have a disability. You're still not getting in here. And I'm like, but, but, but I, I have a disability. I'm letting you know I have a disability and I have an education. Like, come on. Um, so yeah, like my experience with that has been no different. So if there are people out there that, you know, whether you put in visible minority person with disability and you think, okay, they're going to look at me differently. Uh, yeah, no, they're not. They're going to look okay. at the same and basically say no or yes. I don't know what their criteria is. I'd love to know it though. I, you know, it's it's funny, and, and I don't want to portray this interview like like this is hopeless. No, no, if you have a disability, you shouldn't pursue, right? It's but what we've learned is, and you know, me and you have talked to, uh, you know, I've talked separately, and uh, you've talked to people too, and it seems that the way they apply these principles is well, if you are exactly the same as someone right down to the last step. Yeah. Um, then we'll hire the person with a disability. Whereas my argument has always been that, no, I mean, you need to go out with the intention of hiring people with disabilities to improve equity in the workplace and, you know, make them fit that, you know, have, have the job fit them as opposed to make them fit the job because otherwise, you know, there are certain jobs that, you know, you might be qualified for, but because of your disability, might impact your ability to do an interview effectively or might interpact, in, in, interact, uh, impact uh, that. So as a result, you're not going to be the last two candidates with everything else being equal because nothing was equal at the beginning. Your yeah. disability prevented you from being exactly equal at the beginning. And now they're willing, now they want to say you have to meet all those criteria first. I mean, is that, does that, is that fair to say? Yeah, like, I, I don't know if it's like a fair comparison. Like, I, I'm kind of a visual person that if someone gives me like a, an image or a, a reference that that's kind of what I relate to. And to me, um, hearing you say that or hearing how the experience works, it's almost like, okay, both of you are going to do a, a, you know, a hundred meter run or whatever, like you're going to run around a circle. And you're like, okay, fair. We're both starting at the, the same starting point. Oh, but by the way, He's starting a little bit further than you. And you're like, okay, a little bit further, not a big deal. But then when you see by a little bit further, we went this far ahead. Now, if you can catch up to him at that point, you're like, damn, I'm not catching up to him. I don't think that's kind of fair. Um, so that's kind of how I, I, I looked at it. Like there are references and I don't want it to come across as like um, comparing an apple to an orange, but like I've seen stuff that on social media, on YouTube, on commercials where they talk about like, you know, uh, when kind of black people go for education and white people go for education and they show them the line 
And I, I'm, and I'm not saying that in any offensive way or nothing, but that's kind of how it related to me is like, here's your line. Okay. Now see how far ahead they are compared to you. And I'm like, here, I thought we were like playing equal, like equal playing field because I got the same grade, same mark, same experience, but yet just because they don't qualify, they don't put down as disability or anything on their form, that seems like they're a little bit like a light year ahead of you. Um, right. So that's so, how I felt about it. So I think that like, and just so that we're clear on the comparison, yeah. you're not suggesting that, you know, the, 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 the challenges that let's say uh, African-American, African-Canadian people have experienced is the same because obviously no. It, it's not. No, it's but just in terms of, in terms of a, a comparison, in terms of being treated differently in their case, through racism, through systematic racism, in your case, because you have an, um, a, a, there's a bias there that sometimes people don't necessarily see. And because they can't see what the disability is yeah. in terms of visible or non-visible, um, then you get treated differently. Because even when we talk to some folks about this in the HR world, they don't seem to understand. They, don't, they, they really don't seem to understand until you explain to them, well, hold on. You're saying that if he's, you know, you want him to be the same on every factor right up until the end, and then you're going to take him over that other person when you're forgetting that the disability is preventing him from necessarily being the same on every factor yeah. to get to that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So wanted to follow up on this because I think this is an important accomplishment Lots of people with Sturge-Weber syndrome never make it to school. They, they never certainly go to university. I mean, you have a Bachelor of Arts, um, uh, a Bachelor of Arts with a, uh, a specialty in communications. Yep, somewhere, um, somewhere in that have, closet, using this time well in that closet. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have a Bachelor of Arts in communications. You have a, a degree in, or sorry, a diploma in sports journalism. Um, from Loyalist College, your, your degree is from uh, Carleton University in Ottawa, and you have a um, you have a degree or a, sorry a diploma in radio broadcasting from Algonquin College. So you're an educated guy in this field. It's not like you you just sort of uh, picked up a microphone and said I'm doing a podcast. You, you've got some background here. Yeah, I, I just, I think I'm going for the complete sweep. I just need TV and film, like a TV and film degree or diploma. And I got all my media fields covered, like, you know, communications, PR, radio. I just need that TV. Uh, I think I'm going to Vancouver to do their TV and film. I think that's a good, I think that's a good opportunity for me. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, I, I was, you know, I reviewed your, your guest list. I've heard lots of your episodes and, and you know what I've heard, they're all, they're all great. What's always amazed me is your tenacity to get some of these folks. I mean, if we quickly look at your, at your guest list, I mean, you've interviewed, you know, you talked about uh, Jimmy Rankin, Heather Rankin uh, from Newfoundland, uh, the Ennis sisters, which are, um, you know, a wonderful Newfoundland group, friends of mine, great, uh, great people, fantastic musicians. Mark Critch from Newfoundland, uh, Rick Mercer uh, from Newfoundland. And you got Rick Mercer at the same time that he was announcing that he was uh, uh, hanging up his uh, boots, so to speak, uh, with the Mercer report. Um, so he was certainly well sought after at the time. You, 
you've had like four hosts of uh, the national uh, Rosemary Barton, uh, the former host, I guess now Rosemary Barton, Ian Hanamansing, um, Adrian Arsenault and Andrew Chang. You've had Lisa Laflamme from CTV, Peter Mansbridge, Wendy Mesley, lots of folks from the, um, from the news side of things. Then you've had, um, you know, you've had people like George Stropanopoulos. I mean, how do you get these guests? I mean, how do you get them on? Because, you know, these folks are busy and you're, you know, you're a guy coming out of nowhere. How'd you, how did you pull this off? Um, so it's actually kind of an interesting story. I'll, I'll try to make it brief, but maybe I'm not the greatest person at making stories brief. Um, it, it, it went back to when I was doing, I remember I was doing at Loyalist College, we had to do internships. And I, I think I communicated with you that we were on break. We had like a spring break or uh, a fall break. And James Duffy was going at Carlton to do a coin flip. Great, like James Duffy will do anything. He's just that kind of guy. But Nikki, that's the reason you like James Duffy. Um, mm -hmm. Can you imagine flying in from Aurora just to do a coin flip um, or traveling? So I remember sending an email to Carlton because I had a connection with Carlton at the time because I was alumni and asking them, you know, James Duffy's going to be there. He's supposed to be there to like meet and greet people. Do you mind if I interview him? And they kind of said, no, he's only here to do the coin flip and then he's gone. And I was like, okay. So I went to the event anyway with a microphone in hand, thinking the worst thing he's ever going to say to me is, I don't have the time. I probably wasted a half hour to an hour on a bus traveling, but it's still a football game that, you know, I'm interested in watching Carlton versus University of Ottawa. So big, big deal. And I remember asking him, I said, like, James, uh, do you mind? I, I had a Carlton jacket on. So I was like, you know, I'm a little bit sneaky in the term that I kind of made it look like I was still a part of Carlton. Um, but I said, like, James, do you got like five or 10 minutes? I just got a few questions for you. And he said, yeah, sure. I just got to finish up this thing over here and I will come find you. And I'm not like, this is still new. I'm still green per se. So, but I still had this idea that I will come find you just by the way people say it is almost like get lost. Like I will pretend to look for you and somehow not find you. So I kind of made it like, oh, I'm going to just step two steps over here so that like he's going to have to notice me. And he immediately came over. We did a five or 10 minute interview. And I said to him, like, is it cool if I send you an email? Cause I was looking for work. And that's where kind of the wheel started to go in motion because he's like, oh yeah, it's just James dot Duffy at, and I, I'm not giving it away because people know this stuff anyway, but like, you know, bellmedia.ca um, it's on their websites per se. So it's not like, it's not secret, but to me, I was just not in the research mindset. So when he said that to me, I was like, so that's James Duffy's email and their CTV employees or Bell employees. I wonder if Lisa LaFlamme's email is the same. I wonder if this person's email is the same. Worst case comes back and says no, like Microsoft Office no or email got found. And then doing some internships, like, you know, when you see, when you send out emails or whatever for jobs and you see the email dot CBC or at CBC.ca at rogers.ca, whatever, you just shoot and hope that the email goes through. And that's essentially what it was. Like, you know, it's not mind breaking knowledge for me at the time. I, I was like mind blown that you're like Peter.mansbridge, Wendy.okay. Um, so then when they reply, you're kind of like, uh, am I in trouble? Like, was I not supposed to send an email? And when they're coming back like, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I'm like, they're gonna ask for sample stuff. 
you have nothing. Um, and they come back and they're like, I guess, down to do the interview. Sometimes you're like, okay, is it my backstory that they're interested in because I'm a person with disability? Is it just my area of being involved in media and they want to help someone out? In some cases it is. Rick Campanelli, for example, um, the funny story is I crossed paths at him when I was with Global and I was told kind of don't talk to Rick Campanelli. And when I mentioned that to him, he was like, who would tell you that? I'm here to help you guys. Um, there, there's no way I would ever tell you not to talk to me. And I was like, well, that's more humbling than someone saying, don't talk to the main people that you are expiring to be. Right, right. So it's, it sounds like, because I remember the story with James Duffy, because I dropped you off at the yeah. university that day, and I said, you're gonna, are you going to try to interview James Duffy? And you said, well, I was told that we're not really... <laughs> We're not really supposed to approach these guys. And I, and I dropped you off, and I don't even know if I was off the parking lot, and you texted me a picture of you with James Duffy, uh, arm in arm. Uh, and James has been good to you over the years, right? Like, James has done, has been, you've interviewed him a couple of times. Yeah, like, I, so it was, for the first, like, that first time was just an encounter that I just thought, like, I kind of needed a story at Loyalist, too. Now, I know Loyalist is kind of looking for local stories in the Belleville area. But I just thought, like, you know, I, I need some sample stuff when I'm done Loyalist. And James Duffy would be a big name, especially if you're in sports, to kind of, you know, even even if that interview is kind of just, say, pretty sketchy or not your best work because you're probably like, uh, uh, James, uh, nice nice to meet you. Um, so it was, it's a learning curve, but it's still good to interview these people because you get it under your belt. So I just thought it was like kind of remarkable to do that interview with him. and you know, kind of gone from there. Like I've reached out to him then, of course, showing him what I've sent him, like showing him this interview going like, can I use it for a sample material? And he's like, absolutely. Why not? Like, you don't even have to ask me that. Like it's clearly your interview, but it was just always in my mindset of ask the person that you interviewed in case there's something in it that they don't want to be repeated. And some people that I've interviewed with podcasting will tell you, no, they agreed to be on your show. Like F them. Like that's it. They agreed. Let him, let him talk. And I'm like, yeah, but there's still a point that you might want him back in the future. Um, so with James, I think that was the first encounter. The second encounter, he had a book and I had read the book. And like, I'm not a real book person. I'm not going to lie here and be like, oh, y'all look at my bookshelf. Um, you know, even though when I'm doing podcasting, let's just say in that room in the back, because that was my spare room, uh, there's a whole bunch of books. They're not mine. So don't ever think they are. Uh, but I was just really into the book because it was a sports journalism book about like hockey stories, how he got into his career. And I think that was like not to, you know, say the other interviews I did weren't great, but this is like the one that you actually dive into their whole career from start to where they are. And you, I wrote down questions, underlined stuff in that book that I said, if this is going to be my first interview, my last interview I ever do, because at this point I wasn't sure if I wanted to still keep with the podcast but I just wanted this to be a good sample material. I underlined stuff. I said, you know, I'm going to have to ask him some tough questions about how he got into the career and not something that you're very comfortable with. But I asked him at the end, like, is this fine to use? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, next time you're coming out with a book or when Christmas comes around, do you mind if I reach out for a shout out? And he'll say, he said, yes, I might be weeks late. So if anyone ever emails James and he's not easily to reply, he has a life obviously everyone does so uh it gives him a few weeks to reply but he does he does reply and he's been good ever since like i haven't had any issues with him of coming back and saying 
no, I can't do it. Or if he does, if he's ever tight on a deadline, he'll say, Brian, I've just put up like, you know, the trade deadline. We're just cloning the playoffs. Come reach back to me in like June or July when it's a little bit simmer down. But at least he's up front with you. He's not like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. He's giving you a reason why. So he, he's recognized as one of the nice guys in that business, eh? He's, yeah. he's he, not only how he comes across on television, but obviously your experience and others, you know, he's just a, a really, he just seems to be a really nice man and, of course, really good at what he does. So well, And the, and the thing that I kind of want to mention there, too, not to cut you off, but just because uh, I don't want it to come across as, like, always putting over James Duffy, but, like, through James Duffy in a way, just by his personality – it kind of brings out other people's personality. Like I watch overdrive and in fairness, like sometimes I'll think like Jeff O'Neill is just being really hard or like a real mean spirited person. But then James Duffy will get on and joke with them. And like, I, I know Jeff O'Neill makes fun of him for plugging a book and James, and James Duffy isn't one to really want to plug a book. It's just that the publicist is telling him, listen, you got to plug this book. So Jeff O'Neill will make fun of it for him. But like just the way that James Duffy handles it, is almost like you come across thinking Jeff O'Neill's just carrying on with him compared to actually not liking James Duffy, which it's interesting to me because you'll see other interviews where you're like, do these guys really don't like each other? Do they hate each other? But I think any interview with James, whether you like him, you don't like him, or you quiz him on something, he still has that approach of like, you come at the end of the interview, you're like, oh, okay, like, geez, he gets it. Like, he's laid back. It's not going to hurt him any way of saying what you say. He's going to be honest with you. So um yeah he's like I, I think if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of Canadian journalism or sports journalism he's definitely right up there in terms of just what he offers to people and then like both on and off camera so I mean you know it's funny you're, you're telling the story of, of getting these guests and and obviously there's been a lot of great acts and a lot of uh, great people on your podcast but I'm guessing, you know, you have to have a lot of tenacity at that, right? Like you have to be able to ask people and put yourself out there, which you've never had a problem of doing. But then you also have to accept failure because I'm guessing, you know, you don't have a 100% success rate on this. I mean, people do tell you no or their publicist says no. So like, what do you, like you're smiling there. Like, I mean, how do you, how do you respond to that? Um, I mean, full disclosure, I mean, there's probably like a 10 or 15 minute window where you kind of want to make sure that all your social media is logged off no one's like you know it's almost like if I had a team around me they'd be like Brian just got to know don't let him near Twitter don't let him near Facebook just make sure he's got nowhere near social media because it's an instant reaction that's like you know you in my mind and you know people will kind of taunt you or tease you with you because you know I've had classmates that would do it like for example you interviewing James Duffy there was classmates that would say you seem really relaxed like what are you like Oh, you think you're better than us? And I'm just like, no, like I'm just interviewing a person. That's it. Like I, I get where you could get a little bit kind of like high strung or like, oh my God, panic attack. But I'm like, at the end of the day, they're a person that's done well. So when I send out they're, emails, they're just a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, they're, that's, no, they're no better than you. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's just like when you do get rejection emails, that's, and that's the catch 22 at all. When you get them on your show and people are like, for example, you or anyone when you're like, oh, that's so great. You got Rick Mercer on. I'm not going around a kitchen going, Rick Mercer, Rick Mercer, Rick Mercer. I'm going around like, great. I've got another interview. I got to go research some stuff and make sure it sounds okay. Um, and at the same point, when you get a no, that's where the kind of the catch 22 becomes is, you know, if you said to someone, listen, I tried to get Ryan Reynolds or Will Smith on a podcast and they said, no, people are like, oh my God, 
yeah, of course they're going to say no to you. Look at, like, look at you. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, it's Will Smith. It's just a person. Why doesn't he have 10 minutes for me? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but he's Will freaking Smith. And you're like, I, I, I hear you. I feel like we're talking on the same level, but it's still a person. And then they just, they walk away from you. You're like, I don't know. What, I don't understand why he's so mad. He's just a person. But, um, so you don't, you don't, you don't view these people. And this, and this comes across in your interviews, which is, yeah. which is really quite a skill. You just view these people and say, I'm just having a conversation with whoever. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's on your show. Right. I mean, was that what it was like for you? Like, uh, let me, let me use the example of someone like, okay, William Daniels. Yeah. I mean, William Daniels, I mean, I know the reason you interviewed him, you were a big fan of Boy Meets World and, and Mr. Daniels played uh, Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World, but he's, you know, he's a Hollywood, famous Hollywood actor. He's, he was known for Knight Rider. He played the voice of Kid in Knight Rider and he was on, um, uh, I believe, St. Elsewhere, right? Yeah, he was a doctor. St. Elsewhere. Yeah. So, you know, this is a hero to you. Um, you get him on the phone in LA and like, were you nervous about that at all when you interviewed someone I, like I, And I think that's kind of the irony or like, you know, the backtrack of my statement too is kind of like, you know, in that sense, like to some of these people, like, yeah, I watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like I watched James Duffy daily, but it was never to the point, like, you know, that as much as I idolize them, it's not something that I kind of grew up on. It's like I idolized them because, you know, I liked, I liked Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why I like Fresh Prince. There's a whole bunch of reasons why I like TSN and James Duffy is a reason. But like with Mr. Uh, Mr. Daniels, like even calling him Mr. Daniels, because I've been told you don't call him Bill or William. It is Mr. Daniels, which Daniels. fair enough. Yeah. He is an elder, and it just goes to show you that I kind of respect him in that way. Very um, well-respected man, yeah. Go yeah ahead. But, but like, I laugh at it because I remember there's such an there's such a time difference between L.A. and you know Ottawa, as people know. But um, he wasn't available like till ten thirty that night, and you're in school from say nine to five. You want to get home, and I remember getting home for maybe ten minutes to take out the dog that's somewhere in the background there, like. Uh, TJ and immediately in my mind like you 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 have these moments to yourself you're like god like I'm here 10 minutes now I gotta go get an hour bus back here just to interview William Daniels why don't I have a setup at home but like when you get there you're you've got it prepped you're ready and then you're thinking all the situations that I guess in a way could go wrong he might not be ready um so in my mind I was still waiting for that last second of sorry wrong day or sorry he's not available or he didn't know what he signed up for um, but when I actually got him on the phone, uh, his wife, who was actually in, uh, Boy Meets World as well, I think she was like Dean Bolander and she was also in St. Elsewhere. She picked up the phone and again, me being clueless, maybe it's just because I'm a nineties kid, not like don't know the whole background of them prior to Boy Meets World. I didn't know till after the phone call that that was who it was. So, um, you know, she was helping him out with the questions and, uh, I was kind of blown away cause he was very relaxed, very chummy. Um, but yeah, there was a, a few points that I'm like, oh, great. All this exterior that you're like a tough interviewer or just down to earth. And it comes <laughs> down to Mr. Feeney, like in your mind, it's Mr. Feeney on the other end of the phone going, how are you today, Brian? Cause that was the first thing he said. I'm like, Mr. Feeney just said, how am I today, Brian? I feel like Corey Matthews. Oh my God. My questions just went out the window. Where do I go from here? <laughs> um, so yeah, but so, as you get it around, it was a very relaxing, fun interview. So it was, so you were, you know, admittingly, you were a little bit starstruck by, uh, by Mr. Daniels. In his oh, interview. yeah, like, and, and you got to look at it from the standpoint of, I was so used to getting Canadian acts, and like, again, no offense to these Canadian acts, like, 
you know, it's a Canadian podcast. So you're kind of, again, maybe this is the mindset that people will be like, geez, he's very egotistical about it. But like, I'm like, I'm a Canadian act going for Canadian people. That shouldn't be too tough. Yes, you're going to get no's from some of these acts. Like, we haven't had Ryan Reynolds on, obviously. It'd be great to have him. He's a Canadian act. But like, this was, I guess, my first, I believe my first American act um, that we've had on. I could be wrong. Maybe it was like number second or third. But in my mind, it was like, Boy Meets World is my all-time favorite show. I grew up with Mr. Feeney quotes of like, you know, I can riddle stuff off. Or like, I just thought when you get older, these things, as a kid, you're watching it for Corey and Sean. But as you get older, you're watching it for like the metaphors. Like, you know, if Corey and Sean had a, a break or a fight and you go see your neighbor across the fence, like that's not real life. You don't bugger your neighbor about this stuff. But he'd have like a piece of paper and he'd be saying, friendship is like this. And it's like a kind of like a, I don't know what kind of piece of paper he tried to tear it and you can't, but he's like the slightest tear, the slightest argument. And then it like ripped and you're like, that's, that's mind blowing stuff, Mr. Feeney. That's, that's deep. <laughs> so when, you, when you get him on the podcast and he's giving you these kind of life lessons to yourself, like not outright because he wants to, but you take him that way. You're like, I'm getting taught by someone that like I wanted to be taught by. This is great. So, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention who his wife actually is. So his yeah. wife, is uh, her, her name is Bonnie Bartless. Yeah. Uh, and you're right, she was in episodes of St. Elsewhere. She was in uh, Better Call, uh, she was actually in recently Better Call Saul, yeah. uh, most recently, which is a great show as well. Uh, she's been in a ton of stuff herself. And by the way, if you don't remember, because you probably wouldn't, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Golden Girls. Yeah. Uh, she was actually in an episode of the Golden Girls, played kind of an evil character, but uh, shout out to Miss, uh, Miss Bartlett as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so both of those folks are uh, in LA and doing well. So I have to ask you, because we're getting, we're getting near to the end of our time here, and uh, I know you're a busy guy yourself. What, who's your favorite guest, Finn? Of all the guests you've had, what, who would you say your favorite guest was to interview? It's, it's ah, such like, it's going to come across like a political answer, which I don't want to come across that way because I'm not a political person. Um, it's, it's kind of tough because each, I'm not going to say like, oh, each one of the uh, 99 or the 98, like, oh, they're, they're all great. Obviously that's true, but you do have ones that stick out. Now, I don't really have a kind of all-time favorite because in each interview, I'm sure there are times I'm like, I could have done that a little bit better. I could have edited that a bit better. Um, you know, there's no one that's 100% that you're going there like, I can sit down and listen to that and not have any kind of criticism. Um, but there's like two or three that I like for particular areas or particular reasons. Like Jimmy Rankin's obviously going to be one of my favorites just because he was the first one to really start it. They could have easily came back and said, are you kidding me? You got nothing. Like, why am I giving you Jimmy Rankin? Um, the other one would be James Duffy, just because, again, um, getting to meet him face to face and then, you know, just reaching out to him. And again, like most times you would start at the lower pole of just say anywhere. And like, I, again, I'm not saying that these people are lower, but maybe they would agree to. But if you went to TSN and said, I would like to interview the person behind the camera that does James Duffy's work or the writer of James Duffy, and then you work your way up from there. But to actually get the head of um, kind of TSN, the, the face of TSN right off the bat, like that's kind of like, okay, I've reached the pinnacle for TSN. So now everyone else that I get are equally as great, but it's like, I've got the face of TSN. So 
if I can send them this saying, well, James Dudley was on the podcast, sending that to a Jay Onright or a Lindsay Hamilton, they're like, well, if James did his show, I don't see why I can't do his show. I'm going to be on the same level playing field. Um, so those would be the top two. Um, and I'm not saying one and two, like one and two, you could either arrange it different ways. And I think the third one uh, would just be, yeah, William Daniels, just because at the time, uh, again, grew up with Boy Meets World, one of my favorite shows, and to really get anyone on. Like, I, we've reached out to the other actors as well. They're sometimes busy, you just can't get them. It's whatever. But for him to come on, I was like, okay, so I've got Mr. Feeney at like 11 o'clock tonight. Let's go. But let's, uh, let's see if we can make this sound good. And uh, there are definitely times that, like I said, you're, it's, the world, it's one that I think I was a little bit more nervous for, but when you get into it a little bit more, you, you start to grasp, like, I'm the interviewer here. Like, you know, if you want this to make it sound good, you might only get them once. So let's, let's you know, you got like two people on your shoulder, like one like, this is Mr. Feeney. Yes, like, don't worry about it. You can totally choke in this interview. And then you got another one like, what are you doing? You're getting them for one time. Don't choke, like, bring it back. And you're like, I got to, okay, let's do this. Fair enough. So it sounds like those, those three folks have been, certainly have been memorable for you personally. Yeah. Um, let me, let me, let me talk a little bit about Newfoundland because, you know, for, for people that are listening, you're from Newfoundland and Labrador, which is east coast of Canada. Um, and so, you know, there's a, diff there's a certain culture there in Newfoundland and you, you talk often when you post on the website or on your website or, you know, you introduce yourself, even when you put in your cover letter in for, for applying for jobs, you talk about being a proud Newfoundlander. What does that, what does that mean for you? And, and how does that impact your show? Do you think? I think like to me, there's, there's a number of reasons why I probably put it in, a, in like a resume or even when I do it on a podcast, like, I, I don't think I, name drop it too much. If I do, it's probably just because of the way the conversation's going, because we're probably talking about Canada or, you know, someone's talking about growing up in Bradford or Brampton compared to, and then I bring up about growing up in Newfoundland. But I think a big reason I do it is because, and it could just be in your own mindset. I'm not saying that sways anyone's opinion, but like if you're going for a CBC job per se, and you're pitching your podcast to CBC or you're pitching a show or applying for a job. Uh, I think Tom Power had said it, and I think George Dropolopoulos mentioned it as well. Like I asked Tom Power at one point, do you think Newfoundlanders are like kind of not getting the cut or like, you know, we're not getting respect as much. And he's like, I think we're well tapped. Like we're well tapped. And I was like, he's got a, he's got a point. There's Tom Power. There's Rick Mercer. This hour's 22 minutes might be filmed in Halifax, but that's a whole bunch of Newfoundlanders on that. Um, it just, to me, it's like, it's almost like, in itself a little bubble that if you can make it out across off this island and then seeing people not just doing okay like in the media but like being very successful it's not like rick mercer or an alan doyle even in music just came out of the province and like okay you're doing you're doing okay like i know who you are like no you talk to canadians and they know who alan doyle is because of great big c or himself so it's kind of like a bit of a pride thing of when you say you're a newfoundlander it's almost like you're betting on yourself but for someone who might be looking at Newfoundland and going like, well, look at all the talents coming out of Newfoundland. This fellow's from Newfoundland. He could be the next, the next wave of people that could, we could use to 
um, get places. And I know that sounds egotistical and I know it sounds far-fetched, but that's the way I kind of look at it is like, you know, Rick Mercer and them are, they've done, they've done, like they're, they're pretty much retired, semi-retired. They've, they've made their money. They've made their wealth. They're doing okay. But it's like, okay, so what's next? Like who's the next wave of people coming out of Newfoundland that we can say, or we can claim to be proud of. Um, so that's kind of one aspect of it. The other reason I do it is just because when you're asking people that are um, particularly Canadian acts, when you say you're a Newfoundlander, I feel like it's like a little bit of a weight lifted off their shoulder because if you get the stereotype, whether it's right or wrong, of a Newfoundlander being very friendly, very open, very like nonchalant to an interviewer, like if, if someone came across to me tomorrow and I'm in Ottawa and they don't know I'm from a Newfoundland and they said, listen, we got two fellas from Newfoundland I want to interview you, I'd be like, geez, yeah, they got to be laid back. They got to be relaxed. Sure, I'd love to do it. Compared to, and no offense, but if someone said, I got a fella from Boston that's going to interview you, I'd be like, okay, I'm not really, I don't know. They could be very friendly, but just that image in your mind of being Boston, being kind of rough, tough, like who you think you are? And you're just like, I, I think you asked me to come on your podcast. I don't think it's supposed to be mean, but that's just my interpretation of when you hear Newfoundland, you hear friendly. That's your, stereo, that's your stereotype of people from Boston who we hope aren't listening. Yeah, but it's like, you know, in fairness, Conan has, like, I'm a big fan of Conan, and Conan even says it, and it's, it's funny to me that Conan brings it up, like, uh, in one of his late nights, they said, when you go back to Boston, and it kind of counterpoints mine, but it's like, uh, they don't care who you are. It's like, hey, you, you think you're better than me? Don't skip the line. Get in the back of the line. It's like, this is Conan O'Brien you're talking to. Like, but he's like, okay, fair enough. Like, I... He's, he's basically telling you, because I remember the story, he's like, before you even get a chance to tell them I'm Conan O'Brien, they're already bringing you down a peg. Like, as soon as they see you, you might be going to the back of the line anyway, but four of them already tell you, hey, you think you're better than me? Go to the back of the line. It's like, I was going there anyway, but this just for them to say it, to get it out of their system. So I feel like when someone hears Newfoundland, it's like, okay, friendliness. They think um, just down to earth, like hospitality. And that's just my perception. Now, there could be people out there that say, Brian, you're dead wrong. Like, I'll do a podcast with anyone anywhere. But, and then that's fair. That's just my perception that if you write Newfoundland, especially for Canadian acts, that um, they could be from Nova Scotia. They, or starting off, again, they were from Nova Scotia. They were East Coast. They'd say, oh, I'm only doing an East Coast podcast. That's great. It's still local, somewhat in the Atlantic uh, provinces. And then as it just got bigger, I just said like, no, it wouldn't hurt to just put in the Newfoundland bit just in case there are acts out there or people out there that even if they're on the podcast, like um, I think it was Dan O'Toole had mentioned. Now he mentioned, cause when he was out West, he'd worked with a whole bunch of Newfoundlanders. Now, if I didn't mention I was a Newfoundlander in the bio, he probably wouldn't have brought up the story about meeting Newfoundlanders and how friendly they are. So I think it's a little bit of, um, I guess not tourism, but just good, um what's the word i'm looking for like good pr sometimes for newfoundland when you get a guest on and they give a shout out to newfoundland like dean brody put over newfoundland in his interview of saying i love signal hill i can't wait to come back and i don't think they'd mention that stuff if you don't say you're from newfoundland right right so what is the guest that you most wanted in the first hundred that you couldn't get <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty obvious, I mean, I've got the room decorated for Christmas stuff now, but I mean, I used to have a few bobbleheads and Funko Pops in the back. Like, I think number one, and I remember saying this to my friends, and again, I thought it was going to be so easy, 
to get them. <laughs> uh, it was it was Conan. I wanted Conan for like episode one to episode fifty, and I know like I reach out to his PR and they just come back and say he's busy. He doesn't have the time. And like again, coming back to the whole social media side of things, or where you want to kind of lock yourself in a room for like ten minutes. It's like. There are weeks that Conan's not doing TV. There's weeks that he's on break. And I'm like, are you? And then I'd come back to like the PR people, which to their credit, they probably look at me and say like, oh, he's just, he's just a little bit mad because he got no. But I'd be coming back to them and saying like, so you're telling me he's off for three weeks and he's got no time for a 20 minute interview. And they'd be like, that's pretty much what I'm saying. And I'm like, mind blown. He's a person. Again, coming back to, he's just a person who doesn't have 20 minutes. And then someone else would look at you and be like, Brian, he's Conan O'Brien. He's not Conan down the street. I'd be like, it's same, same thing. Apple, apple. But could, but, could, but, but could Conan be busy in his three weeks off? Like, could he have yeah, other things to do? He could. <laughs> in, my side, in my, like, kind of mindset, I'm like, he's not doing a show for three weeks. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to have him on to be interviewed? Um, but, yeah, you're right. Those three weeks are probably him saying, I'm done with interviews. I want three weeks to relax. And now you're telling me this kid from Newfoundland wants to interview me. Like, no, it, uh, why are you not understanding? And <laughs> it's like the same with John Oliver. John Oliver takes like, you know, three or two or three months off sometimes between doing last week tonight and the same thing. And then you're thinking to yourself like, okay, so what are you doing in the two or three months? Like, I feel like, um, and the vice versa, I think he was doing a promo one time when HBO was coming back and it was Curb Your Enthusiasm was also coming back. And um, they had Larry David on and, you know, he was just making jokes of all these shows that were coming back to HBO and John Oliver would somehow be in the shot. And Larry David says to him, like, yeah, well, you thought they were talking about you? No, we're coming back. He's like, and then he says to Larry, like, yeah, but what have you been doing for two or three months? He's like, I I've been busy. Like, I've been busy. Like, leave me alone. And that's where I kind of felt like I was the John Oliver to John Oliver. Like, yeah, what are you doing for two or three months? Like, what are you saying? You can't do 20 minutes? It's like, I've been busy. Yeah, what are you busy at? It's like, none of your business. So the next, uh, so your 100th episode is, is coming up this week. Um, I'm told again, I know Christmas is your absolute favorite time of year. And it's another Christmas-themed episode. Uh, which is great. I don't want to give anything away. Tell me about the next hundred. What are you going to do? What's 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 in store for the next hundred episodes? Oh no, we're we're done. Once we once we hit hundred, once you hit hundred, that's it. You're out. It, it, it's basically my Disney project, where it's like you reach a hundred episodes. I've I've heard this, and it could be wrong, but it's like once Disney hits a hundred episodes of anything, they're like, all right, that was a success. Let's do something else. So that's my approach. No, um, I've got a few guests lined up hopefully now for the the new year like uh i i find this in its own kind of extreme a bit of a learning curve for myself like you know i've been on internships and they haven't panned out great so this is kind of my own way of self-learning um you know i i believe you fail until you succeed as long as people are willing to adapt to that as well um so there have been times that you'll reach out to people and they'll tell you no you get in a little bit of a tiff with them but you somehow figure it out so uh, like acts that I, I kind of hope on for the next 100. Uh, I think we've had, um, I hope I don't screw up the name, like Hal Johnson from uh, Body Break. Yeah, yeah Body and Break. By saying, and by saying Body Break, I immediately have to go, Body Break. Um, so we have him on, hopefully. Uh, we've got Neon Dreams, uh, another, you know, East Coast band. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I think what was the other like they're the the, the few I, I at DDP and Jake Roberts are supposed to so for people that are involved with wrestling um I'm in Dallas Page and Jake the Snake Roberts yeah, yeah so, that'll so, be that'll be great yeah like so those are like they're not confirmed confirmed but they're in the works like they're, it's a little bit more promising than saying no like they could be in February March April somewhere down the road it could be even June July but at least they're in the works to supposed to be on um, but I, I kind of like that because it's a little bit of a, to me anyway, when you're doing another hundred, you're kind of going back to your roots in the sense of, you know, having a few more East Coast sacks on to prove like, yeah, we, we may be getting bigger than what we used to be just this little East Coast project, but it's still nice to have a neon dreams on that have done well that are from the East Coast and they have their own interesting story. It's still nice to have on, uh, as a person who grew up watching wrestling to, to not just seem like oh i'm embarrassed to have these people on because i'm older now like no embrace it embrace that you were a wrestling fan that's so cool i'm still listen i'm still a wrestling fan yeah. i like some old stuff but i'm still a wrestling fan and, and these interviews are great i mean i know you uh, uh you recently had uh, vicky guerrero on the podcast so you know uh, excellent I'm, I'm i'm happy to see more uh, wrestlers come on and they're great and at the end of the day they're great stories right yeah. i mean all of these folks i mean vicky came on the podcast and has has great stories to tell about her life and experience and i i I have no doubt that Jake Roberts and uh, DDP and, and all the others that you've inter that you will interview and that you have interviewed, they all have great stories to tell. And, and you know what? I, I respect and appreciate your ability to do it because not everyone can. And I, and I, and I think it's probably a good place to, to clue it up, but I will say, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast, if no other reason than to throw questions at you. I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. And hopefully uh, you will have me back for episode 199. I know this is the Wayne Gretzky episode of the podcast, but uh, maybe you'll have me back again for 199 uh, as you prepare for 200. But I do want to say, uh, from my perspective as a brother, very proud of you. Uh, Great job in getting to 100. Great job on the interviews and the guests. And I know all the work and energy you put into this. So great job. Congratulations. And um, look forward to the next 100. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not going to try to ruin this sentimental moment here, but it's like... When I you think you are, though. I, think yeah, that's I, exactly I, will. I, I will, because when you, said, <laughs> when you said 199, the only way you'd probably get bumped is if Wayne Gretzky himself said, I know you're coming up on 200, but... 99 kind of my thing i'm like it's 199 gretzky he'd be like even better i you know what i am i am prepared to take that chance <laughs> yeah you'll have you'll have to do a zoom chat and be like listen wayne it's not between me and you anymore you got to talk to this fella he's a little bit upset that he doesn't be get to be on he'd be like are you are you serious right now it's between me and your brother and i'd be like i wayne i still don't understand what side you want me to choose what are you trying to say? Family first or guest first? Yeah. Oh, Wayne, are you gone? How come you're not in the Zoom chat anymore? I, I'm sure. I'm sure Wayne will have been gone yeah. by that point. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much uh, for allowing this to happen, for this interview to take place, and uh, I look forward to listening to 100 coming days. Now that's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. 
For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.